Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector of the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, Hackalope, have you ever heard of Operation Gunman? I haven't. So this is a very random thing I found online literally just a week or two ago, and it, it was interesting. So uh, my first question to you is, remember using a typewriter? Yes, I do, in fact. I think, I think we're both old enough to have at least used a typewriter at one point, maybe in high school. My first typing beyond. class was on, uh, was on a typewriter, and I mm -hmm. think my first job we used, we used typewriters to fill out some forms. Uh, that was at gas station, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I remember learning to type at home, writing all my book reports on typewriters. But this entire topic is based around typewriters since it takes place in 1984. You know, you're familiar with what a keylogger is, right? Uh, so a keylogger is some type of device, software, or hardware that will uh, record every keystroke that is made on a uh, keyboard. Do you know the second definition of keylogger? No. So in the Pacific Northwest, when you have a lot of guys with uh, plaid shirts and axes mm -hmm. uh, chopping down uh, trees, the guy who's your most important lumberjack, that's your keylogger. I learn something new every day. <laughs> How much time did I spend thinking of that? I'm not going to say. Anyways, moving on to Operation Gunman, uh, it is probably what is possibly considered the very first keylogger that we know of. Just a little background, our, our friends and folks at the NSA, uh, way back in the day, uh, when they were just coming about, they really had no clout. Back when they really were no such agency. Exactly. And no one really gave a damn what they had to say. And in fact, when the USSR and America started uh, establishing talks about creating embassies in each other's uh, respective countries. The NSA had been founded at that point, came into the talks and said, hey, listen, uh, they're probably gonna try to bug us because it's Russia and we would do the same to them. So what you need to do is make sure that as close to 100% of the materials are all bought from America, we're monitoring all of like, you know, laying the foundation, brick and mortar, everything because just don't trust them. They'll put bugs in everything. So nonetheless, uh, the people in charge gave zero craps about that, went along their way, and there was no verification of the building materials. And in fact, we had one American to every 30 Russians overseeing the project there. Needless to say, uh, later on, we found that the Russians had actually installed listening devices and bugs inside of the support columns in the building in the embassy. I had heard of that, but only only about as much as you told me. Yeah, yeah, that's that was news to me, like reading up on it, but it definitely made me laugh. So anyways, Operation Gunman, how this all started was back in 1983, the French discovered that there was a bug in one of their systems, and it was their embassy in Russia. And they never told us exactly what that bug was, but... You know, we figured if Russia was doing this to the French, they were obviously going to be doing it like a hundred times full to us. 
given the current political climate. Uh, we just didn't know what it was in terms of the bug or where it was. So do you know Walter Dealey from the NSA? I don't think so. The only thing that I can remember that this brought to mind was The Thing. Mm. Uh, do you know this one? I, I don't know. The Thing is is the title given to a Russian bug that was introduced into the American embassy by an American SEAL with a bug built into it. And it was given by a bunch of school kids, Russian school kids, to the American ambassador. And he was so taken with it that he hung it in his office oh, for seven it, years. This, this was the gigantic uh, thing, right, in his office? Yeah, yeah, it's a seal, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe a foot and a half across. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, I, I did hear about this. Yeah. It, the, the, the thing itself is actually in the, the real one is, is in the Spy Museum in D.C. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if I saw that when I was there. I'll have to come back to D.C. and check that out at some point. But anyways, uh, Walter Dealey, not a name I recognized either until I was uh, doing the research in there in this. But um, he was apparently like from a pretty prominent dude in the NSA. He uh, mm -hmm. reorganized the NSA uh, sig int, uh, you know, signal intelligence ops during uh, Vietnam. And he was actually the deputy director of communication security. And he actually pushed for the secure telephone for uh, government agencies, which a lot of people cite as probably being the most significant improvement in like 50 years in terms of security. That's a very interesting device, and we might do an episode on that because yeah. it's analog cryptography, and it's just wild. And I was surprised to read that he did it in two years, like time frame. Like that—that's insane to me, given how yeah. slow like anything in government goes. Well, also the the technology behind it is really pretty crazy. The the folks in Bell Labs came up with something that is just wild. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure they're still in use today. Interesting, <laughs> but anyways. Walter was basically the manager in this entire operation. At one point, he kind of fired the uh, the main person in charge of this operation because he was getting so pissed off that it was taking so long to find this. Wow. And it only took two years. Yeah. When was well, this? Well, no, no. The Operation Gunman only, oh. this, this was like a two-month period. Like, that's okay. how uh, frantic he was to get this done. Um, because it was, you know, the NSA's reputation was on the line because yeah. in terms of figuring this out, uh, when we knew there was a bug, we obviously had to take all the materials out of this embassy. We couldn't go in there and do it there. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out the Russians have a nasty habit of poisoning people coming into the embassies to like look for bugs and whatnot. Oh, that, they've gotten over that. They're they're totally not known for. Well, wait, they're probably one of the largest uh, internal assassinators of of, of uh, internal dissidents there is in, in the world at this point. Yeah, there's never been any news about the Russians poisoning someone. So we had to pull out literally all of the equipment from this facility because, again, we didn't know what device uh, this bug could be in. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened was we replaced 10 tons of equipment in the, um, the embassy, which is a 10-story building, and replaced it all with all new equipment that NSA either purchased or um, just found laying around in stockpiles or anything like that. And uh, another podcast I was listening to a few weeks ago that we kind of touched on those he made reference to the fact that this is basically like if a burglar broke into your home, stole all of your crap, and then bought all of the stuff to replace it so you never knew he stole your stuff. So what's funny is we did this in less than two weeks' time, this uh, 10 tons of materials carrying up and wow. down, 10 flights of stairs. And the Russians obviously had aerial reconnaissance, spies all over the place. So we had to make it look as if we were just doing a routine um, upgrade of a, lo a lot of this equipment. They kind of probably knew what was going on because they shut down the lift elevator uh, after day one for uh, quote unquote routine maintenance. I mean, this lift elevator could only support two people and like maybe two devices at a time. 
So it wasn't even that much better, but obviously you weren't lugging it down like three foot wide uh, hallways and staircases. Yeah, well, also like I wonder if they had a breakage problem because I, I gotta say, I, I managed to do another, I haven't broken that many computers in my life, but it's not zero hauling things mm-hmm. around the, the hallways. Yeah, especially in this day and age. I mean, you didn't really build them like too great for, uh, you know, you bump it one time and it breaks. Although I will say like the, some of the old stuff, like did you ever have the old PlayStation? Well, so I, I remember actually fixing my PlayStation 2 um, where the, the, the lens on the, on the CD reader got jostled. But oh, okay. um, <laughs> my, my original PlayStation, I dropped it out of my bag when I was skateboarding and it rolled down the street end over end and then just worked completely fine. Wow. The thing was like a brick. Did you work on the on the old um, IBM? What is it? Actually, the typewriters we're talking about are the IBM Selectrix. Selectrix, actually, that was what I was looking for. Th- those things were made out of depleted uranium. Awesome. Um, <laughs> well, the IBM Selectrix typewriter, like two, or that the entire government had standardized on them. In fact, my aunt was a Fed in this in the FCC for her entire career, and was using a very sophisticated system with the selectric typewriters and some hardware that they built to add on to do like form organization and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But the thing was like, we had computers at that time and networking. And this, this was like in the mid late nineties. And, (laughs) and she remembers, she told us the story of a commissioner coming in and going, why are there no computers on anybody's desk (laughs) and upgrading everything but so many people had used them for so long the ecosystem had gotten to the point where they had added all kinds of um add-ons and and stuff to do a lot of the things that are really easy with computers but were kind of hard with paper um it's kind of actually reminiscent of some of the very early things we did with automating the census with uh with electromechanical systems which is another great story that we're not going to get into right now (laughs) Interesting. Okay, so yeah, you're you're familiar with these typewriters. So oh, yeah. I, I had to look into I've I've never used these and uh, I'm a little bit I, older than you. I've I've only seen the pictures uh of some of the articles that I was I was reading through in regards to this. But after we basically uh moved everything out of the embassy, we had a twenty four seven uh guard on these things as we shipped them back to the United States, uh back to the NSA and you know, stuffed them in the closet with all these uh texts. I think from what I was reading, there were maybe 12 to 20 people total working on this. And, you know, what, what would be your go-to thought of, I mean, I gave it away of what device uh, these things were on, but what would be your go-to thought of, like, what device would the Russians bug in an embassy? Honestly, I would have thought the lights. Lights would have been good. I was thinking, like, crypto for any of the communications back from the embassy to the U.S. Well, I could tell you that the U.S. at one point um, actually put a camera into the... Um, the copiers that were in the Russian embassy. Oh, really? Yeah. So every time you took a photocopy, it would do the whole mimeograph thing, but it would all, but it would also take a picture of the document, and then oh. a in the no serve a, a black bag service a service somebody posing as a Xerox service technician would come on on a regular basis <laughs> and <laughs> the film. Oh, that's great. So yeah, they thought of that too. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, all, all the old school spy stuff is very fascinating. So this went on. They uh, they started with the crypto machines because that was also their their kind of go to. And you know they were X-raying these devices, doing all this uh, thorough processing. And two months later, they had literally nothing. They had come up with nothing. So this is when Walter Dealey basically fired the one guy that was managing the project and brought someone new on. And out of frustration, he offered a five thousand dollar bounty. 
uh, for the first person that could find the bug. So, you know, go forward like a, a few days later, and uh, this one tech by the name of Michael uh, Arneson, yeah, I think that's his name, uh, on the evening of Monday the 23rd, July 1984, um, he detected like an anomaly in the power switch of one of these IBM Selectric typewriters. And you know, obviously it was like, wait a second, that's not kosher. And so he decided to x-ray the whole machine from uh, top to bottom. And what he noticed was just a gigantic cluster, like dead center in the middle of these IBM typewriters. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, wait a second, they're not supposed to be like that clustered. Like these obviously had like chips in them and everything because they were electric. Yeah, yeah, they, ha they had integrated circuits. Yeah, but there's not supposed to be that much stuff going on inside mm -hmm. of these things. So uh, this was late at night when he found this. So there was no one else around, so he couldn't verify or like, talk to anyone. And it was so hush-hush he couldn't even tell his wife, who also worked for the NSA, but obviously was not on this mission. Oh, need to know. Yeah, exactly. So the next day, um, text came in. He showed them well, what was going on. There was a bunch of back and forth trying to figure out, like, is this actually a bug? They finally determined that, yeah, probably something janky is going on here. So in like, further research, they actually uh, found this. Um, there's a, a website, if you just Google uh, Operation Gunman, the very first link that comes up has like an incredible write-up on this and actually has photos from the x-ray and stuff like that. In fact, there's also a book called Learning from the Enemy by Sharon uh, Minicki. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, I guess, an internal memo by the same name handed around and around the NSA around this time too. Uh, that's an interesting read. I plan on buying that book to actually like delve into it and read through it. It's, uh, it just goes to show you the great signal of discovery is not Eureka, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> So the State Department at this time, they destroyed the documents every two years in relation to uh, procurement. And so we had no idea how long these typewriters had been in this embassy and where they had come from or anything like that. So we have no idea really how long the Russians were um, using these bugs to, to wiretap us. So the cool thing about this bug is it was remote controlled. Oh, yeah, really? You're familiar with the IBM uh, Selectric typewriters. Inside, there's basically a golf ball-sized uh, yeah. ball, and it has all the letters and numbers. And mm -hmm. so when you hit a letter, it sends a signal to this ball to align and tilt the ball and stamp your paper with this. Right. So this bug was basically a side channel attack on this. It was reading the electromagnetic waves emanating from uh, these beetles. So it's like it's it's a precursor to Vanek freaking type stuff of of reading um, of reading what's on your monitor by the EM radiation that is yeah, yeah, exactly. that is leaked by your by your cable. Yeah, or I think there was a, a quote unquote side channel attack for like VMware or VMs where uh, like one VM could actually listen to another VM just from the emanations of the CPU. Yeah, there's been a couple of uh, of, of various attacks like that, or uh, mm -hmm. there was another side channel attack against crypto keys, which was very deliberate and very, very, it was very specific on how to exploit it, but it allowed for the revealing of private keys between um, VMs. Uh, oh, yeah, on, yeah. On memory remember. allocation. Yeah, 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 yeah. If I remember correctly. Um, yeah, this, so there's this... another side channel attack like that. Yeah, these things are always like really interesting to read and completely beyond me and like how people develop this sort of thing. Yeah, it's like, what were you looking for that got yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, like how did you stumble <laughs> upon this crap? Like, but you know, nevertheless, so what it was is it had uh, six magnetometers that compressed and stored um, all of this into uh, four bit words. Okay. And 
the buffer for this stored eight four-bit words until it was finally full, and then it would send out the buffer via this radio frequency to a listening station. It was probably like somewhere around the embassy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, certain characters were unaccounted for. Um, it couldn't do, I want to say like dashes. They ran out of they ran out of space in compressing it to four bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the I won't get into it, but the the article that I was reading had like a, a huge technical write up on like exactly why. It was probably uh, oh, and compressing this into four-bit words and whatnot, and also just like exactly how this worked with them setting. Um, they could send uh, instructions to this uh, device as well. So, anyways, uh, certain characters were unaccounted for, but you know, by the, just the process of uh, inference, they could figure out. You know, there's only so many letters in the English language, and we have a frequency of how many are used. Yeah. So they could go through and uh, kind of figure out, like, well, that doesn't make sense. What if we swap this to an E? Okay, now it totally yeah. makes sense. So, and they could also like decide which characters were 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 very low priority. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the yeah. thing that that occurs to me about this is the frequency at which we deal with vulnerabilities nowadays is so fast that you'll get like maybe half a page right up on some of the stuff. And mm-hmm. in the old school stuff, it was such a big deal every time they found something that the documentation lets you know everything that was happening. The episode mm-hmm. that I'm researching right now, there's so many articles that are like you know half a page and i'm like no no where's the technical details i think that yeah I yeah exactly understand the whole thing <laughs> yeah well, one of the initial articles i found on this was like very kind of short and had nothing and then i found this one i was like oh like they, they literally like there's there's diagrams of all of the uh internals of the typewriters and how they worked and how exactly this like you know read everything off of that so super fascinating so we you know it took us time to reverse engineer this um entire process and in reverse engineering it we actually found that the russians had kind of upgraded their tech and they had five different versions of this bug running in uh, a few of our embassies i believe i could be wrong about this but i think leningrad and moscow had um there were 16 total devices for this one bug um that we discovered i would have figured there would have been there would have been more bugs <laughs> yeah we we don't exactly know like again the <clears throat> the department destroyed everything so we don't know time frame wise what could have they gotten like you know to yeah, track no, this I mean, down and be like what messages were we sending like around this time there was a real lesson in in, in modern incident response with that is mm-hmm. like if you don't have the logs you don't know what happened um, <laughs> yeah exactly it's it, it's the same problem we've always had that the amount the detail that you're keeping now is going to make a huge difference five years or five months from now when something bad happens whether it's an attack that happens or as we know occasionally happens insider type stuff i mean mm-hmm. you don't know if you don't have the audit trail yeah yeah exactly uh back when snowden leaked all those documents through uh, wikileaks mm-hmm. uh you know the russians kind of browsed through them and one of those documents actually cited that we had uh put a bug on one of their uh, officials and so the the russians kind of freaked out and they were like oh crap so they immediately purchased just a crap ton of electronic typewriters I guess not realizing that they had developed a bug back in 1984 that they could hack electric typewriters with. And then they were like, well, these electric typewriters will be super secure now. We won't use, we'll go back to paper and uh, typewriters instead of digital. And like, okay, cool. Like, we'll just like copy your bug and put it on those things. That's amazing. Like the left hand not knowing what the right hand was doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yep. So, you know, that's Operation Gunman in that shell, basically. 
there are a lot of uh, pretty interesting things in the in the old school history of the Cold War. Um, I mean, we've talked previously about um, uh, how much of a buff I am of of some of the stuff that happened then. There were a lot of techniques. So you've heard of Moscow rules? I've heard of Moscow mules. I really like them. <laughs> well, operating in Moscow in the Cold War for pretty much the entirety of the Cold War, both the State Department and the intelligence operatives worked by what they called Moscow rules, which was basically, you're not safe unless you're in one of our totally secure rooms in the embassy. Mm, okay. Everything else is suspect. Suspect everyone. Trust your gut. Always think that you're that that you're being targeted, and they weren't far wrong. Um, for every person that the U.S. had in there, the Russians had three or four people tracking them constantly. Damn. Like that's they, crazy. There was there was no let up. They had a schedule. Everybody was tracked. Yeah, you, you just kind of knew that you had a team that was basically like following you. 20%. Exactly. So because. They were a totali- fairly totalitarian re- re- regime. The Soviets only let the, or made sure that the foreigners only st- only stayed in certain hotels and mm, got yeah. and ended up getting certain rooms. And those rooms were bugged. They had like look down cameras straight down at the desk. <laughs> it was pretty crazy with uh, that they they had so much observation that pretty much everything you did was was looked on in when you were in Moscow. Um, and we had our own double agent problems. Uh, Alder James got a bunch of people killed. Johnny Walker Red released telecommunications over a period of something like 16 years. He even enlisted his uh, son and brother-in-law, I believe. And the only reason he was caught was because his wife was disgruntled because she wasn't getting a big enough cut of the, <laughs> of the money that he was getting and turned him in. Uh, Aldrich Ames was suspected, uh, but passed his lie detector tests twice mm. of his, his five-year renewals uh, before, he, before he was caught. And it's really tough to, to understand what, how, how hard it is to, um, to weed out those human intelligence problems. The, the technical yeah. intelligence stuff is actually a little bit easier in a lot of ways. There was a, uh, another uh, story w- was uh, that actually was detailed in the old uh, spy museum. Was uh, there was a cross Germany telecommunications cable that went underneath the wall, and the U.S. spent all this time digging to it to, in order to tap it. Okay. And the Russians knew about it for the entire time. Oh, that we were digging. That we were digging. That we we're that we we're trying to tap it, and like the instant that we got in line, they, they just switched all signals to a different. <laughs> they just oh, they let great. us spend all that time and effort right. yep. trying to get there. It was crazy. I um the camera in the photocopier trick is, is still one of my favorites. It happened in the uh, in the Russian embassy in D.C. There's another story, and I'm trying to remember. There was an embassy that was built that was so bugged that we never ended up moving in. So we, we try and go into this cold as, as has become the tradition in, in so many podcasts that we listen to. Mm. So I didn't look at anything. If I had, I probably would have done some refresher on uh, on Cold War spying. Yeah, when you were talking about the Moscow rules thing, it reminded me. Uh, did you watch, was Get Smart? Was it the yes. Where there were spies? They would go into the little bubble room and bring down the cone of silence or whatever over their head? Yes. I watched a lot of TV land when I was a kid. Well, the funny thing was the, the the shoe phones were so amazing back then, and now our phones are 
not only smaller, but infinitely more capable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I guess the moral of the story is check your supply chain and keep your records. Yeah. The good moral of the story is like, hey, don't allow the other country to build your embassy for you. Not even trust, but verify, but just don't trust. Yeah, exactly. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon.